Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are assembled on the first day of the week, which is the day the Lord Jesus Christ chose to reveal Himself resurrected to His apostles. And because He rose from the dead, we shall rise also because He is the first fruits of them that slept. If Christ be not risen, then we're yet in our sins and there is no resurrection of the dead. But Christ is risen. And there is a resurrection of the dead. And we shall be in it. Anyone listening to this audio tape or watching it, I would suggest that you read Psalm 102, emphasizing the last four verses. That you also read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 44. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and the first eight verses of Revelation 21. Those were wonderful, wonderful promises. And I repeat my fear. My fear is that we just had read in our ears some of the most fantastic, glorious statements. And it will not affect us as much as it should because we are too distracted and caught up in this life and this world. Lord, help us. Father in heaven, save us from hearing such precious things. And from reading the passage before us and considering it for a few minutes and it not changing our lives. Your scriptures tell us, he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Help us to this end. We ask, begging thee for mercy, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 25. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. 
But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. It is a blessed privilege to read these words to you and seek to explain them a little bit. But I fear for you and me that they shall not mean as much as they should because they should totally alter our lives. Nothing here can compare to this on these pages. We believe in five phases of salvation. So there's a salvation, an adoption, a redemption mentioned here in these verses I just read that we do not have yet. I thought I was redeemed. You are redeemed. And you are not redeemed. Because we have a redemption that is still coming. And for those of you that are over 30, you know you need one. Because our bodies need to be redeemed. There is still a phase of adoption that we're waiting for. Our future glory infinitely exceeds any present suffering. I do not know what you are suffering from in all cases. I know some things. But our future glory infinitely exceeds all that present suffering. And it all works together for our good. Because only good is planned for us by the grace of God. The world around us, the people that are busy in their activities today, the people that are worried more about the NBA playoffs than the worship of God, those people, those people that are boating, swimming, hiking, playing, shopping, watching TV, and sleeping, those people, they do not know where humanity came from. They don't know what the purpose of humanity is today. And they certainly don't know where we're going. They do not know the origin of the earth, nor do they know its future. We know all these things. And we own them all. The heavens, the earth, the sea. Well, there won't be much of that left. But the heavens and the earth and everything, we own it. It's ours. It's part of our inheritance. They don't know anything. If they had an inkling of knowledge, they would be surrounding this building because they would know that the sons of God are inside there. And they would be reporting on us. And they would be looking at these Scriptures themselves and saying, what a blessed people that God has adopted them and has said He will be their God and they shall inherit Him and they will be His Son. But there's a sense in that of that relationship that we do not even have yet. It's coming. We want to consider it briefly from Romans 8. I love these verses. I want you to love them. When you look around and you see all the decay and the trouble, and you look inside and you groan and you look in the mirror and you travail in pain, you read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the first ten verses, and you realize, how did Solomon know me so well? When he described the decay of the human body, we see, we feel, we know all that. There's a deliverance from it. And it's right here in these verses. Let's look at them a verse at a time very quickly. And if children, then heirs. 
I love that. In the verses just before verse 17, he has taught us that if we're led by the Spirit of God, we are indeed the sons of God. You say, how do I know that I'm led by the Spirit of God? Do you bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God in your life? You say, I don't do it perfectly. No man ever has. No man ever shall except the Lord Jesus Christ. But is there inside you a desire to be filled with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance? When you went outside yesterday and the blessed God of heaven embraced you with that beautiful day, did your heart swell with the thought, God, you are so good. You are so blessed. You are my Father. This is wonderful. Thank you for loving me. I love you. Did you have any of those thoughts? If you had those thoughts, you are being led by the Spirit of God. The wicked through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Did you have that yesterday? If you didn't, confess it, and let's go outside and take a walk today. I'll do it with you. It was beautiful. He sends that sunshine on the evil and the good, but only the good rejoice in it. If you're led with the Spirit of God, you're the sons of God. And so it says, and if children, then heirs. If you are a child... Daddy has something to give you when he dies. It might be small when we're talking about earthly fathers. But we're not talking about earthly fathers here. If children, then heirs. If you're a child of God, there is an inheritance. It is a free gift, as all inheritances are. It is given by the Father. He gives his estate to his son. If children, then heirs. Well, who's the one giving the inheritance? God is. Heirs of God. So first of all, we think of who's the one giving. How rich is he? How good is the inheritance? God is the one giving the inheritance. It is infinite in value. It is infinite in duration. It will never wear out. God's giving it. And not only that, when it says heirs of God, God himself will be our portion. He will be our God and we shall be His Son. Did you hear our brother David read Revelation 21, 1-8? through 8? We will inherit God. We will be there with the Lord Jesus Christ to enjoy all that God is. We, you will have a full soul which will have to be recreated in a spiritual body to handle the relationship of being in the presence and with the person of God for eternity. We're heirs of God. It doesn't say heirs of heaven. It doesn't say heirs of streets of gold. I get so tired of people thinking about a pick and a chisel and streets of gold. I want what's at the end of that street of gold, and that's God Himself and the glory of the Lamb. I want to run over it to get to the real object of heaven, and that's God Himself. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And what will your rank be? You say, I'm so pitiful, I'm so poor, I've never amounted to much. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He shall receive all the preeminence and his rank will be greater than ours. But the inheritance of God and the spiritual blessings of heaven shall be shared with all the elect. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You cannot be lost. Do you think God is going to lose His Son? Do you think God is going to withhold the inheritance from His Son? 
You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And all of this chosen by the grace of God before the world began and given to you by writing your names in the book of life of the Lamb slain. Which is why we just sang, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. What's that roll? It's the book of life. It's taking attendance for heaven. And no name will be called from that book that shall not be there forever with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord from another reading. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Those are comforting words. This is where we're going. This is, this is certain. Any other book you pick up is uncertainty. You have to read every sentence and question it. But not the Word of God. We just believe it by faith and lay hold of it and rejoice in it today. If children, then heirs. What kind of heirs? Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Paul is comforting these Roman saints with the trials and afflictions and sufferings of life. Notice how high he takes them before he slips in sufferings. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you are the sons of God. He has told them in verses 14 through 16 that the Spirit of God causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, because we are sons. And then in this 17th verse, he tells them, you're heirs of God. You're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If so, be that you suffer with him. Now, Jesus Christ is not suffering right now. So we can't suffer with him in time. But we can suffer with him in spirit so that we suffer the way he suffered. And he suffered most cheerfully because he looked at what was set before him. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing the glory that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And is an example to us of how we should endure the afflictions in our lives. If so be. This is not a condition to get to heaven. This is a condition of the evidence of heaven. This is a condition for the assurance of heaven. Because if you suffer by faith in God for what He has in store for you, you're going to be glorified with Him because that is exactly what Jesus did and you are doing it by the same Spirit that Jesus did it. Nothing should bother us here. Nothing should bother us. Look what we have. It didn't bother the Lord, and it shouldn't bother us. And that's why we have that second half of verse 17. It is to encourage the saints. It is to encourage you that some disappointments here, some trials, pain, trouble here, endure it cheerfully because it's a proof of eternal life. Because we're going to be glorified together with Him if we take those trials in the same way He took them. Verse 18, For I reckon, Paul the accountant, to the saints at Rome, for I reckon. This word reckon, in the Bible it's also used, its synonyms are impute, account, and count. In, he's doing comparative analysis. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What Paul is doing is encouraging these saints. 
You know he's going to get to verse 828 and say, all things work together for good to them that love God. But here he's going to tell you that there is future glory promised to us, guaranteed to us. It is certain. And that future glory is so great that the, pre- the sufferings of this present time cannot be compared to it. Don't make the comparison. Don't get down about some difficulties you may face here because they are nothing in light of heaven. Nothing in light of being with the Lord. Nothing in light of the glory that is coming. For I reckon, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, makes a comparative analysis and said, sufferings now are not worthy. They don't even come close to the, to the glory that shall be revealed. It is not visible now. Therefore, we live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, because we cannot see the glory that is coming. And that glory that is coming shall be revealed in us. Not to us, not over us, in us. Because we shall be changed. We shall be changed into that glorified spiritual body that our brother Chad read to us from 1 Corinthians 15. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And Paul has given us a little bit of that glory in verse 17 when he said, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. That is glory we haven't seen yet. But we shall be glorified together with Him. We shall see Him as He is and we shall be like Him, having a glorified body like unto His own to live forever in heaven. God is able and He shall do it. How has He proven it? Because He has raised His Son from the dead and He is the first fruits of them that slept. For as by Adam all die, even so by Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. He is going to raise our bodies and to join them back with our souls and spirits to be with Him forever in heaven. Verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. There's two things here, and let's take number two before we go to number one. The manifestation of the sons of God. Remember what a manifest is. It's to reveal something that's hidden. Right now the world does not see us nor know us. They do not know who we are. 1 Corinthians 2, 16 and other places. The manifestation of the sons of God. There is a day coming which will be the conclusion to the drama of the whole creation. You live as part of a drama. You were created for part of a drama. And be thankful that you were created for the positive side of that drama. And that is to be a vessel of mercy, a vessel of honor for the glory of God by His mercy, rather than His power and His wrath. We shall be made manifest to the universe. Every devil, angel, wicked man shall know that we are the sons of God because it will be displayed to everyone. Jesus Christ will own us individually and collectively as His own. He will say to His Father, Behold, I am the children which Thou hast given me. Hebrews 2.13 It is the manifestation of the sons of God. We will all stand before the great white throne of the Lord Jesus Christ and of Almighty God, and He will own us as His own. It is an event that annihilates any other event of human history. It is so great, it can hardly be spoken. The Bible doesn't even spend that much time with it, because how much of it can we bear now? 
We can't see it. We can't see this glory, so how can we describe it? God will say, those are mine, and though they have sinned, Jesus Christ is their mediator. And Jesus Christ will stand up for them, and their names will be found in the book of life. And we will be declared name by name, name by name, out of the book of life as the children of God. You say, I don't feel very assured. I don't feel very much assurance that my name is going to be called in that day. That is your fault, not his fault. That's because you're too carnally minded and you allow too many inputs into your life and you get too excited about the foolish things of this life. If you will get into his word and get down on your knees and beg for that assurance, God the Holy Spirit is able to give it to you until your heart is full of it. Paul said, I am persuaded. I know that there is a crown reserved for me. He wasn't doubting it. It's because he didn't sit around watching TV all the time. He wasn't worried about sports. He wasn't worried about houses. He wasn't worried about cars. He was only worried about the things of heaven. He told us to set our affection there. This is an event that's coming. The entire earth, for the 6,000 plus years that it's been here, the earth is moving toward this event. The universe is moving toward it. The planets were created for this event. Moving toward the glory of God in saving sinners by His Son, Jesus Christ, to His praise forever. The whole earth is moving toward it. And the wicked shall be cast into hell. You notice in Revelation 21, the first seven verses were so positive, so glorious, so good. And then that eighth verse, but the abominable and the sorcerers and the whoremongers and the Hollywood lovers and the America lovers shall be cast into the lake of fire. Where are the heaven lovers? He's coming. That's the second event of verse 19. The second point of verse 19. The manifestation of the sons of God. That is the final day of judgment. The day of judgment will occur. The earth will be burned up. The enemies of God will be cast into hell. The new heavens and the new earth will be created by the voice of the Son of God. And we shall inhabit them forever. That's us coming down out of heaven that was read to us in Revelation 21. The bride of the Lord Jesus Christ prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb to live with God forever. He will be our God and we will be His sons. Everything is moving toward that. There isn't a history book in this country, except maybe in a few Christian schools, that talks about this event. But this is what everything is moving toward. The manifestation of the sons of God. It will be the grandest. How do I even describe it to you? The grandest, most glorious display of the love of a being for his enemies. That he made them his sons. And that he has guaranteed them by the death of his own son. And that he has written their names in the book of life long before they ever knew him. The manifestation of the sons of God. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't get ourselves all worked up talking about some Jewish millennium with animal sacrifices being restored in the Middle East. We get ourselves worked up with the book of life of the Lamb opened up and our names being found in it. And God saying, I will be their God and they shall be my sons. That gets us worked up. And it should get us worked up. Lord, help us and work us up because of it. The first half of verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth. There is the creature that is waiting 
for this event of us being displayed to the universe as the sons of God and the creature is in earnest. It is important to the creature expecting this great event. This, these two words, the creature, are by many commentators said to be the hardest two words in the New Testament. They shouldn't be that hard. The creature, it's in verse 19, it's in verse 20, and it's in verse 21. The creature, the creature and the creature. Let's analyze it very quickly in verse 19 and see if you can see it clearly. I hope you can. Rather than take my word for it, I'd like you to be able to see it from the Word of God. First of all, it can include sinful men, because sinful men have no hopeful expectation. The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. It can't be sinful men, because their future has no hope. Their future has no good expectation. They aren't waiting for their future. They're dreading their future. Two, it can include the angels. Since they're not subject to corruption, as we're about to read in the following verses, or they don't have any hope either. The fallen angels have no hope. They're reserved in chains under judgment of the the great day. So it can't be angels. The holy angels that are in heaven, they have no corruption. They're not waiting for anything in that sense of being delivered from the bondage of corruption. I'm, I'm cheating a little bit by referring to words that come in the following two verses. It cannot be Gentiles. And oh, there's there's many that like to say this is nothing but a Gentile-Jewish comparison. And Paul's writing to Gentiles as the creature waiting for the manifestation of God's elect among the Jews. There's a problem. He isn't writing to Jews about Gentiles. And he isn't writing to Gentiles and Jews here in this section. This is a Gentile church. He said he magnified his office of being an apostle to Gentiles in this epistle. He's going to be talking about what, he's going to tell us what he's speaking of in that 22nd, in the 22nd verse. But it's not a Jewish and Gentile distinction. Now sometimes in the New Testament, Paul refers to as a born again child of God, as a new creature. He does that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He does that in Galatians 6, 15. But because he does it in one place doesn't mean we have to do it here. That's not rightly dividing the word of truth. Because he uses a word in a certain way in other places doesn't mean we have to use it here. So we're not bound to using it in that way. And the reason we know that he's not talking about born-again children of God is because they are kept very distinct from the creature. Notice verse 21. Because the creature... Follow with me, 8.21. These are not the children of God referenced under the name the creature. 8.21. Because the creature itself also. You have the word also when there's two different things being compared. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There are two things here. The manifestation of the sons of God and the creature being relieved of its bondage of corruption. Then look at verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also. There's an also again. Not only they, but ourselves also. Not until verse 23 are we brought into the equation as groaning in travail in pain and wanting to get out of this bondage. 
And it's in verse 23, and we are separate from whatever is in verse 22. You follow that? I hope you can see it. You should, you should be able to see it clearly. The word also, when it occurs in the Bible, means there's two things being compared. There's two things under consideration. When we come to verse 22, we are told with the Holy Spirit what the creature is in verse 19, 20, and 21. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We are talking about the whole creation. I was not taught this. I was ordained to preach that these are the elect children of God identified as the creature. But that doesn't matter. All we want is what the Bible says. I just led you through very quickly, by deduction, what it has to mean. There's two things there. The children of God and the whole creation. And they are separate. And the word also is used twice in verse 21 and verse 23. Jokes are made about it. Have you ever heard a tree groaning? That's a joke. You're supposed to laugh. You know what? I have heard trees groan, but that's usually in the wind. So they're not really groaning that way. But every time I see a tree lose its leaves, you know how ugly an oak tree is in the winter? It, it's groaning. Absolutely, it's groaning. You know what it's, what it's full of? Death. It's full of death. It's full of dying. And every time I see in that oak tree a little squirrel come down and a dog catch it and eat it out of that same oak tree, I see some more corruption in the earth. So let's not make fun of trees groaning. Let's look at the passage and take the verses 21 and 23 and see that there are two things being separated and pulled apart. We, the children of God, groan within ourselves, but there is another thing that's groaning in itself waiting to be delivered from the corruption of sin also. And it's not angels. And it's not wicked men. And it's not us. So, And it's not God. So what is the creature? It's the whole creation of verse 22. It's the whole creation. And if you get out and look at the creation, you can see it. You can hear it. Ever heard the squealing of an antelope? with a 500-pound lion on its back, crushing its vertebrae? You say, I enjoy those National Geographic videos. Well, you may enjoy them, but that's not the way God created the heavens and the earth. That's because of sin. You say, are you trying to tell me that lions were once herbivores? That's exactly what I'm telling you, that they were once herbivores. You say, but in school I was told their teeth couldn't chew up such things. What school did you go to? The only school I want to go to is the school of the Word of God. And things have changed. There's violence in the earth. There's violence in all parts of the earth now. There's destruction. There's mayhem. Yes, there is some order to keep us alive. But there is confusion and distortion in the universe because it's under the bondage of corruption. And it's going to be delivered. Now, we cheated by reading Psalm 102 earlier so you know that the Bible does prophesy it. And that Hebrews chapter 1 quotes it. But here we are in Romans chapter 8. So we have identified the creature. The creature in verse 19. The creature in verse 20. The creature in verse 21 is the whole creation of verse 22. And by the whole creation, it means the inanimate, earthly, irrational, animal life is under the bondage of corruption waiting to be delivered from the effect sin has had on it. 
Verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What God the Holy Spirit has done here is put the whole creation in a personification like Solomon does wisdom and named it the creature. You could say it's a collective noun because it's singular for the whole creation and the whole creation is to be understood as a plural noun because if you go over here and verse 23, the fourth word is they and not only they because the whole creation is all the things of creation. The them, the all of them of Psalm 102 that we, that we read. I hope you remember those words. I gotta rely on your memory. The creature is a personification of the whole creation. Remember how Solomon says this? Proverbs 8, Proverbs 9. Wisdom hath built her house. A, a thing, a thing called wisdom is now all of a sudden a person. Wisdom hath built her house. She hath hewn out her pillars. She hath mingled her wine. She hath killed her beasts. She crieth in the places of discourse. We have this person speaking. And so we have in verse 19, the creature with an earnest expectation, as if it were a person that's groaning in travail and pain, but it's a personification of the whole creation given to us in verse 22. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The heavens, the earth, the animals, material, trees, your tomato bush, I'm not trying to be funny, has an earnest expectation that someday the curse and effect of sin will be pulled off. This is a personification. Tomato plants are not really thinking. I don't need to say that, do I? But I'll say it anyway. This is a personification to communicate the point. Verse 20, for the creature... The whole creation, irrational animals, inanimate matter, the universe, the sky, the heavens, everything we read about in Psalm 102, the creature was made subject to vanity, worthlessness, an unprofitable end, difficulty and curse, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. It's the God of heaven that applied our sins to this universe because he cursed it. Are you, did, did God curse the ground? Did God curse the earth? Yes, He did curse the earth. We're told about that curse. We could go look up the verses. You know they're there. God cursed the ground because of Adam's sin. God cursed the earth. And the curse is still there. Do you know where it tells us there shall be no more curse? Revelation 22 and verse 3. There shall be no more curse. We're thankful for the curse. Some of us make money off the curse. Because there needs to be lawn maintenance and the replacing of dying things. Every, every computer virus, every rust, oxidation of a piece of gold is corruption. Beautiful gold. Go ahead. Seal it up tight. Can you seal it tight enough? It's going to oxidize. It's not going to be as, as beautiful when you go look at it a little while later. You see that oxidation taking everywhere? Corruption. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. This personification, this person called the creature, which stands for the whole creation, did not choose this course. They were not the ones that sinned. The lions didn't sin. Tigers didn't sin. 
Mice didn't sin, which is why cats kill them and eat them for lunch. They didn't sin. We sinned. They were made subject to vanity by the God of heaven, who's also said, I will lift that curse. There shall be no more curse. Revelation 22 and verse 3. The creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. This was God's reasoning of how he was going to ordain the universe, that we would witness around us death, decay, trouble, and vanity, and know that there had better be something better. How in the world can we read Genesis and see that, and God said, it was very good, and we look at the things around us, and while there is lots of goodness left for us to see, there is decay and death everywhere. Verse 21, because the creature itself, speaking of the hope in that, the last part of verse 20, speaking of the hope in verse 20, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When we are glorified, when we are delivered from the death that is in every cell that you have, the decay that is in your whole body, when we are delivered from that, the irrational animals and the inanimate matter of this universe will also be delivered from the effect of that sin. We will all be freed because there will be a new heaven and a new earth created differently than the old heaven and the old earth. There will be no more sorrow, pain, crying, or death, or sickness on our part, and this world will be totally different. The creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. It is in bondage to death and dying. Nothing that you have lasts. Nothing. You go ahead and pour yourself a concrete slab. I'll give the dandelions ten years. Nothing lasts. Everything we know decays, falls apart. No matter how well you make it, no matter how fine the automobile, it is constantly under an assault. The metals are corrupting constantly. The creature itself also shall be delivered, the, the creature being the whole creation, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You know, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details because we're supposed to believe it by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Everything that we can see is temporal because it doesn't last. Everything we cannot see that the Bible tells us about is eternal because it lasts forever. Totally different. But there's going to be a bondage of corruption lifted off the whole universe at the great day of judgment. The wicked are sent to hell. The righteous are adopted Finally, formally, their bodies are glorified and the earth is changed and there's a new heaven and a new earth that's as new and as different as your body will be from what it is now. And so we come to verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We should be able to look around and see all the death, decay, dying, and trouble. You should be able to see it and know that that's exactly what this is talking about. Verse 23, And not only they... And not only they. Who's the they? It's plural. You say, but it's in italics. And how far do you want to take that argument? You know, it's in italics. That means it's not in the Greek. Now, that means the King James translators interpolated it because it was implied in the Greek. And it's necessary to the Word of God. 
unless you want Elhanan killing Goliath. Because the words the brother of are in italics. And not only they, that's referring back to the whole creation of verse 22, because it includes more than one thing. The they of the whole creation. And not only they, but ourselves also. Two things that need to be changed. But ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We know that we are decaying physically, and we know that in these physical bodies we still have sin. And for both reasons and on both counts, we groan and grieve, waiting for our change. Because a change is coming when we will no longer even think about sin. Never will you ever think about sin. We will be delivered from the presence of sin. We've been delivered from its power. We've been delivered from its penalty. We've been delivered from its plan. We've been delivered from its practice if you're living a holy life. But we have yet to be delivered from its presence. You will never even think about it. And these bodies that as you get older, you know are decaying because they're losing their vitality. They're losing their strength. The the best trained athletes in the world know that their oxygen consumption ability, called VO2 uptake, declines at 1% a year no matter what they do. They know that. In fact, all other things being equal, you can forecast the day of death by VO2 uptake and how far you are from when it will not support the body any longer, all other things being equal. You can't train yourself to last because you're decaying and dying. When you stand up, you know, everything goes south on a man's body. It's a shame. I wish it went north, don't you? A little bit, once in a while. You know, if you ate the right thing, you went to GNC and paid for their little jar of goodies, that what's going south would come north again, but it doesn't because we're decaying. Every part of us. And so, not only they, not only the natural creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Paul's talking about himself and the believers in Rome, who were some of the earliest Christians who had the first fruits of God's blessing of His Spirit, which revealed to men that they were the sons of God and led men in the spiritual blessings of the New Testament, the Spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. These things that he has said in Romans chapter 8 were given to Paul and the Roman saints ahead of others. Head of us by 2,000 years. We which had the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We know that we have to die. No one wants to die. No one looks forward to dying. The actual event of having this body quit and the soul leave it. And so there's a groaning, wishing that we could be delivered from this body that has death just locked into it. And all the trouble that it brings, all the sickness, all the decay. Sickness is just part of the decay process of the body. We groan within ourselves waiting for the same event. Notice, there's two parties waiting. Verse 19, the creature is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Verse 23, we ourselves are also waiting. But here we have a few more words on it. For the adoption, the final phase of adoption, to wit, This is when the Holy Spirit's explaining something to you when He says, to wit. What do we mean by the adoption? The redemption of our bodies from the power of death. 
out of the grave, taken to heaven, glorified into those new spiritual glorified bodies that our brother Chad read to us from 1 Corinthians 15. That is the final day. That is what we are looking forward to. Notice in the New Testament, in these epistles of Paul, there's nothing about a seven-year tribulation. There's nothing about a 1,000-year millennium. There's everything about this event. This is what we're to comfort each other with. We shall be changed. We shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, and so will the heavens and the earth. And we, with new bodies, glorified, freed from the presence of sin, will enjoy a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sin and where righteousness dwells and God dwells. And He will come down and make His tabernacle among us and dwell among us. And they shall be My people in a way that He has never been before. And it's pretty good now. It's going to be a whole lot better. For we are saved by hope. There's so many pulpits today saying that you've got to be saved by faith. And faith is the only way you can be saved. And here's a verse that says, for we are saved by hope. If it wasn't for this promise that there's something better coming, we are of all men most miserable. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. We are saved by hope. And brethren, don't you dare go out of this place today without having some hope. I know a lot of your problem is my problem because I can't speak well. But don't let it be all the problem. You, you gird up the loins of your mind right now and set your affection on things above and despise this life and look at these words and beg the Holy Spirit to make these words real to you and to your soul. Call up your passion to get excited about these because we have hope. There is no reason for you to ever be hopeless because I reckon. They didn't say that where I came from. But I reckon that the suffering of this present time cannot be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in you. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. He's reminding you, you haven't seen what's coming. All you can see is the trouble. All you can see is the bondage of corruption. So it's not here. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? This is something entirely different. Verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, and it's based on the promises of God, then do we with patience wait for it. All we're doing is waiting. It is absolutely coming. It is most certainly coming. And all we're doing is patiently waiting for it. He is coming for us. He has destroyed death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming. Nothing in life should disturb you or distract you or keep you from rejoicing in this. And it's only when we we get our eyes off of this do the things of life bother us. This is glorious. Read these passages. Read them again. Read them daily. Comfort one another with these words. Exhort one another with these words. We are full of hope. And our hope is not a maybe. Our hope is a patience waiting for a certainty. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ coming. And this event is so great, the entire universe will have to be changed to be good enough for us. Your Father in Heaven said so. I just preached it to you. I hope you believe it. He will have to change the whole universe to make it good enough for you to spend eternity with Him. Let's rejoice and be full of hope this day.